And you may be seated. Our theme scripture for this particular series, Strong Meat, is Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 12 through 14. And the writer here says, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you should be at an age and stage in your spiritual walk when you would be teaching others, but instead you have need that one teach you again the very first principles of the oracles of God. You've got to keep going back over the basics over and over again. You're become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You're, you're back in the basics. You're back in your baby days as a Christian instead of having strong meat. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. It's not that he's wrong. It's just that he hasn't grown up yet. For he is a babe. But strong meat, and that's what we're talking about, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So these people have grown up. They're strong and they're capable and you can't throw them a curve that they can't negotiate because they've served Jesus for a while. Strong meat. And the, the premise of this whole series is that there comes a time for all of us when we should be teaching others not needing to be taught the basics repeatedly. There comes a time when we should be a blessing to others, not needing others to bless us all the time just so we can stay motivated to keep coming to church and serving God. There comes a time uh, when, when you need to uh, trade in your milk for some meat. And so that's our tagline for this series. There has to come a moment when you kiss that bottle goodbye. And uh, I've said it and I'll say it again. There's nothing wrong with a baby being a baby. We love babies. And there's nothing wrong with a new convert being a new convert. We love new converts. But there does come a time as you walk with Jesus and serve him that you need to grow up and you need to take some responsibility for yourself and your own spiritual life. And that principle is everywhere in the New Testament. This isn't an isolated concept. It is one of the key components of living a victorious Christian life. And, and you could go a thousand directions with this, but for this series, I've really felt strongly uh, to deal with four areas that Jesus dealt with in his Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, the center chapter out of three, uh, he gave us four specific expectations. Uh, a couple of them are, are in direct form of when you do this, when you do this. So, so when, not if. Not if you do these things, not, you know, you might consider doing these things, but when my disciples do these things. And so he gives us four specific expectations. Jesus expects his disciples, you check it out in Matthew chapter 6, he expects his disciples to serve, to pray, to fast, and to give. And those four areas are critical to your spiritual life. You've probably had this experience uh, like I have. You hear about a Christian that has failed or backslidden or disconnected from church and almost always you can trace it back to one of those disciplines being missing in their life. And, and it affects throughout their family, it affects their kids, it affects their whole life and it starts with something, an omission that seems to be so small. But Jesus said this, it's dangerous to not be familiar with these disciplines. It's a shocking thing that prayer and fasting, serving and giving are a little foreign to a lot of people who call themselves Christians today. These are not optional activities for any child of God. Jesus expected us to do this. 
And so the series is Strong Meat because God's word will challenge and correct us and direct us and discipline us, but only if we allow God's word to do that. And I've said this every time, and I want to say it again tonight because it's a warning bell if I could just sound it one more time. The longer you've been around church without doing these things, the more likely you are to get offended by any preacher who tells you you should be doing these things. And if you continue that long enough and you harden your heart long enough against the preacher, against the word of God, against the the requirements of scripture, you will eventually convince yourself that you are an exception for some reason. The reason doesn't matter. But you're an exception and you don't have to do these things. But Jesus said, I expect my disciples to do these things. In Matthew chapter 6, in the first four verses, is the one we want to talk about tonight. The King James Version says alms, A-L-M-S, alms. Here's what Jesus said. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do thine alms, when you do your alms, your good deeds, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In other words, what they just got, the praises and the recognition of men, that's the only reward they ever get. But when you do your good deeds, your alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And so so that's an incredibly uh, powerful thing that Jesus is saying. There must come a time in the life of a disciple when you are doing good things, good deeds, actions that will bless others, and you're doing them consistently. And you're not doing them for what they give you whether that's the praise of men, recognition, position, whatever, you're doing them only for God's kingdom. Now, now when Jesus said, when you do your alms, your good deeds, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does, that has been so misinterpreted, it's become ridiculous. There are people that won't fill out a pledge card for an offering because that would be letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But let me just say, if you've thought it in your mind, your left hand and your right hand are aware of what's going on in your brain because that's what operates them. So it's not that. In fact, when Jesus talks about in secret, that comes from the word crypto, which you can imagine uh, has something to do with our English word cryptic. And, and, and it means to uh, escape notice is one of the meanings. And so it's not that you have to hide what you're doing. In, in fact, the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 10, do good to all men, especially those that are of the household of faith. You should be doing good things for all kinds of people, but especially for your church, especially for those that are in your family of faith. And so it's not about uh, being secretive about it. It's about uh, just escaping notice. You're not doing it to be seen. You're not doing it because somebody will say, good job, or, or, or all of that. And, and that leads me to uh, this idea of serving because Jesus expected that his disciples would serve. Now, Christianity has been polluted by a consumer culture. It says... Entertain me, and I'll pay attention. Benefit me, I might stick around. 
cater to me, I'll be happy. But you ask me to contribute in any way that inconveniences me and I'll ignore you to death. You challenge me too much or too often and I'll just leave. That attitude is not only tragic and common, it is fatal to your spiritual life. People often use this phrase, it's so ironic. In Christianity, they often say, serving God, I'm serving Jesus. We sing songs like, serving God is beautiful, without even realizing that serving God means being a servant. That's what it means. A servant to God and a servant to his church. Many people attend church, but not many people are the church out of that number. You don't become what you hang around. You become what you are committed to. And the difference between church attenders and church members, the difference between the spiritually immature and the spiritually mature, and if I could say the difference between milk and meat can really be summed up in just one word, and that word is commitment. A person who says, I'm committed to Jesus Christ, but I don't really want to be committed to a local church, they're obviously a very immature believer. They haven't read much of the New Testament because the Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ on this earth and will be the bride of Christ in the New Jerusalem. Jesus gave his life for the church. So the more like Jesus we become, the more we're willing to give our lives for his church. Church involvement is critical to your spiritual development. Think for those of you that have achieved this particular life stage, think of how quickly your life changed when you became a parent. You had to grow up quickly. You had to take responsibility because now somebody else was depending on you for their very life. That is the same in the kingdom of God if we want the church to grow and have a lot of new babies in the Lord. Somebody has to take responsibility for those babies. It will sometimes be messy. It will sometimes be inconvenient. It will sometimes be frustrating, but somebody has to do it. Somebody has to serve if the church is gonna have a lot of babies. So, Tonight, once again, here's some strong meat. In an apostolic church, if you have no further commitment to your local assembly than just attending services or maybe tossing the occasional tip in the collection plate, you are not living up to your responsibilities as a church member, biblically speaking. You're not fulfilling your responsibility as a disciple Biblically speaking. Now I could make a case, a big case, a, 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 a long case from the scripture that every saint has a ministry. That is everywhere in the New Testament. It's even in the Old Testament. Every saint has a ministry. Jesus taught in his famous parable of the talents that it is a sin for me to have gifts and not use them to build up his kingdom. It's not an omission, it's a sin. Sometimes we hear people say, well, I don't want to work. I just want to be fed. Mm -hmm. 
Or we hear this, well, I did my time already. I'm tired of working. Well, that happens in the physical realm, in the human body. It's called no exercise. And it results in obesity, sickness, and death. That is not the way things are supposed to be in the human body. That is not the way things are supposed to be in the body of Christ. Listen very carefully. Strong meat. All, all of the Greek words used in the New Testament for minister or ministry have the meaning of servant. And since every saint has a ministry and all the words in the New Testament used for minister or ministry have the meaning servant, then that means that everyone who calls themselves a child of God should be serving. Absolutely none of the words in the New Testament that are used for minister or ministry, none of them have the meaning of leader. None of them. Although sometimes ministers who were serving are indeed called by God to lead. But that's secondary to serving. Leading is merely a role within God's kingdom while serving is a calling for every believer. Far too many people set out to lead when they should set out to serve. Now, there are several words that are translated minister or ministry. You can look them all up in a concordance. I'm going to take two. These are the two major ones in the New Testament for minister or ministry. The first is diakonos. Diakonos is where we get the modern word deacon, except it doesn't mean anything like it used to mean in the Bible. Diakonos means to wait upon, menially, meaning menial labor, physical labor, or as a host, uh, being gracious and waiting on someone's knees. So to wait upon someone, to be an attendant, that's what it means. Now look at these scriptures. Romans chapter 15, Paul said, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Oh, Paul, you must be preaching a crusade in Jerusalem. Paul, you must be the guest speaker at a revival. No, I'm carrying an offering to help the church in Jerusalem. I'm serving them. That's ministry. First Timothy, Paul writes and he says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful and he put me into the ministry. Well, Paul, that must mean you're the apostle, the bishop, you're, what are you? No, 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 I was serving. God saw my serving and he watched me be faithful serving and then, you know what he did? He put me into a position of serving. Because I was good at serving, so God put me in a position of serving. That's ministry. Every word in the New Testament for minister or ministry doesn't mean leading. It means serving. Second Timothy. He says to Timothy, as he's winding up the last letter he'll ever write on this earth, Timothy, watch thou in all things. Endure affliction. Be tough. Don't be a wimp, Timothy. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Win souls. Make foolproof of thy, here it is again, ministry, diakonos, serving. Timothy, you always be a servant. You always be a soul winner and you always be tough. Don't let the devil or people knock you down or chase you away from serving God. You be a servant, you be an evangelist, and you be tough. I wrote this note to an earnest young man 
who decided he was going to go and prepare for the ministry. I tried to explain that you can't study your way into the ministry, but you can serve your way into the ministry. Here's an excerpt that has been edited slightly to protect the guilty. Quote from me. My advice above all would be to resist the trend and stay very close to your local church. Speaking from personal experience and from the experience of every other staff member and leader I've ever served under, worked with, chosen, or hired, that is the very best way to prepare yourself to do something great for God in the future. Never once in 30 years have I ever looked for a preacher to hire. I've always looked around for those who are workers. And I've always found great church leaders and future employees covered in dirt, dust, and sweat as they push some church project forward, usually without recognition and always without a position. Those things came much later for all of them and for me. So please make a conscious decision to resist the pressure and don't let anyone or anything rob you of the privilege of being a great saint and a faithful volunteer in your local church. Now, if you're wondering who that was, just let me tell you that after consideration and consultation with my faithful veto power, Pastor Jack, the nice pastor, I never did send that note. Do you know why? Because after we talked, we thought that's strong meat and it will shatter his bottle forever. So we never sent the note. I love this series. There's another word, um, hyporetes, hyporetes. And, and, and this is another word for minister or ministry in the New Testament. Every word that's translated minister or ministry means a servant. This one means subordinate, assistant, serving, acting, of, acting under another's direction or under rower, an unusual meaning. We'll get there in a minute. Let me give you a couple of verses where this word is used. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. When he says the ministers of Christ, he's saying subordinate, assistant, servant, acting under somebody else's direction or this, this unusual meaning, under rower. Paul said, uh, you can take account of us. We are under rowers. We are subordinates. We work under the direction of others. In Acts 26, when Paul recounts his miraculous call on the road to Damascus, this is what God said to Paul on the road to Damascus, Acts 26. Paul's recounting it many years later. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. I'm going to make you a minister, a servant, and I'm going to make you a witness, a martyr. That's what witness means. So I'm going to make you a servant, Paul. 
I'm not going to make you some great guy. We, we look at Paul like he's some superstar, some superhero. Paul's reputation came much, much later. While Paul was alive, Paul talks about it. He said people ignored him. People abused him. People lied about him. Paul wasn't any superstar when he was living. God made him a servant. That, that word, hyporetes, it means an under rower or a subordinate. In a Roman galley ship, the under rowers were those under the deck, sometimes free men hired, sometimes slaves, but they were those who unseen and unnoticed pushed and pulled on the oars in perfect rhythm. They couldn't even see the direction they were going, but they were following the direction of the leader at the front of the boat who kept time usually on some kind of a drum instrument and they would row. That's what Paul said, I am. I'm not a superstar. I'm not a big shot. I am in sync with the body of Christ and we are pulling and pushing together and we are letting the kingdom of God go forward and we don't care who gets the credit. We're just under rowers. Every saint has a ministry and that means every saint is called to serve. It is the exact polar opposite of today's consumer culture because today's consumer culture which has put its slimy tentacles into the church today's consumer culture says well I'll serve if you pay me or I'll serve if you recognize me or I'll serve if you give me a position or I'll serve if everybody else is serving I'll serve only in areas I enjoy or I'll serve only when it suits me or I'll serve only if it benefits me. Don't ask me to help with kids if I don't have kids. Or I'll serve sporadically. Or I'll serve independently. I'll do my own thing and just call it service. Or I'll serve only, this is a big one today. I'll serve only during service times. Don't ask me to do anything. I, I do uh, service, if I'm gonna do it, I do it between 11 and 12.30 on Sunday morning, between 6 and 7.30 on Sunday night, uh, between 7 and 8 on Wednesday night, maybe between 7 and 8 on Friday night. I do service only in service times. That's today's consumer culture and how it looks when we get it inside of a church. That's how it looks. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Strong meat. All of a sudden, the Daniel fast looks a lot better, doesn't it? Strong meat. You see, if we don't have committed Christians, serving Christians, this church or any church can't grow larger because we are already far past the point where the pastors and the staff members and the existing volunteers can do it all can do more. That's how we do it today. We just expect people to just basically bleed out serving more and more and more and more so we can attend and cheer them on, give them a box of chocolates at Christmas time. But that's impossible to grow an apostolic church. This is the same problem, by the way, that the early church faced. 
in Acts chapter 6, there is growth happening. And there's people coming. And when people come, that brings people problems. And people problems are far worse than refrigerator problems, washer problems, or plumbing problems. People problems are the worst. And so in Acts 6, because they've got people problems, the apostles are just overrun with all kinds of work and care and everything. People problems. That's when they come up with this. And they say, here's what we've got to do. We've got to appoint some people not to have a position, not to have a paid salary, not to get recognized. We've got to have some people, if the church is going to grow, we've got to have some people that will do nothing but serve. If we can get some people who will serve, the church can grow. If we don't get some people who will serve, the church is forever stalemated and stagnated. And the apostles said, here's what we need to do. We're just servants too. Read the New Testament. The great apostle Paul that we love and quote and preach his stuff, he called himself a servant, a servant of Jesus, a servant of people, a servant of the church. But those leaders, the apostles, they said, but we've got not only that servant's heart, we've got a role, we've got a responsibility that God has put us in. And that's trying to lead the church. And said, so here's what we need to do. We need to give ourselves continually to prayer. And here it is. And to the ministry of the word. Everyone say, the ministry of the word. So that's the ministry that God had focused them on. And they needed to devote the most of their time to. And if I could be so bold on behalf of your pastors to stand here tonight and say, it is the ministry of the word that your pastors need to spend most of their time in. But I'm not speaking on my own behalf, but I will speak on behalf of your pastors tonight. We stretch them way too thin in North America because we sometimes expect them to do their job and your job too. I could invite you to do something as simple as look around our building. Do you see anything undone, unrepaired, or untidy? Maybe that's because we're waiting on a pastor or a staff member to find time in their schedule to do a job that anybody in this room could probably do anybody. And so if you're wanting better, more anointed, more creative, more impacting preaching and services, one of the great things you could do for this great church in 2020 is free up all of your pastors to engage in the ministry of the word. It's easy to preach that at a preacher's conference, I got to tell you. They clap, cheer, and run the aisles. And then go home and work themselves sometimes into an early grave. And there have been many of them. The Acts 6 roadblock right there. 
almost stalemated and stagnated the early church. But let me tell you what propelled the early church into their next phase of great growth. It wasn't pastors. It wasn't preachers. It wasn't leaders. It was saints, diakonos, servants, who stepped up to hold up the hands of the ministry and said, let me look after that so you can just get into the ministry of the word. That's what happened. It could be that we're far too far into a consumer culture for that to really impact anybody anymore. But what I'm relying on is not your logic and thinking through what I'm saying. What I'm relying on is the Holy Ghost that's resident in the church and in every saint of God and in every disciple of Jesus. And I'm relying on the Holy Ghost that could tweak somebody's heart and tweak somebody's priorities and convict somebody and say, you know what, this is strong meat, but you're, you're past the point where everything needs to just flow to you and everything needs to benefit you and you come and consume one more sermon, one more song, one more service and you go home feeling blessed. No, you're bigger than that. You're more grown up than that. You're more mature than that. You can take some strong meat and strong meet is where you shoulder the burden of growing a great local church. It was the saints who stepped in to hold up the hands of the ministry. Later, Paul will write this to the Corinthians. He's winding up his letter, and as he always does, he stops to thank those who helped him. They're saints. They help lead in a local church. They help push the local church, and he always does this. They, they only get the briefest of mention. We, we've got all kinds of commentaries on the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and James, and we've got all kinds of that. We don't have anything on most of these people, just a mention of a name, and we try to kind of patchwork it and piecemeal it together to figure out who they even were. But they were so important to the New Testament church. They served. 1 Corinthians 16. I beseech you, brethren... And then he says, you know the household of Stephanas. They are the first fruits of Achaia. They're the first ones that were one to God in that Roman province. And here's what you know about them. This is what they're known for. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Somebody say it with me. The ministry of the saints. Do you know what the ministry of the saints does? It allows the leaders to engage in the ministry of the word. The ministry of the saints shoulders burdens and shoulders responsibilities and doesn't shy away from commitment. The ministry of the saints, he said, they've addicted themselves to that. I didn't start out to be a preacher. I started out to be a good saint and I pray that I was. But I loved being part of that local church. And I loved having my hand in everything that was going on. And that never stopped when I graduated from high school and it never stopped when I got out of Bible college and it didn't stop when I got married and it didn't stop when I had kids 
And it didn't stop when I moved into an assisting role in a church. And it still hasn't stopped. I love doing something behind the scenes that makes the church grow and go. And every one of the staff members and department leaders and volunteers and pastors here in this team, they love doing that too. You see very little of what they do in the run of the week. You see them in services. You might see them in a counseling appointment or at the hospital, or you might pop by the office and they might happen to be there, but you see precious little of what they do for this church in the run of a week. And that's why in the New Testament, there's a plea. Jesus said it. I expect my disciples to be doing good deeds. Not just doing good deeds for yourself, but doing good deeds for others. Paul said, especially those that are of the household of faith, if there's anything where you can put your shoulder under it, if there's anywhere where you can volunteer, if there's anywhere where you can take some responsibility and not just take it and then drop it, but take it and work it. If there's any place, that is the ministry of the saints and it frees up the leaders to get Get involved in the ministry of the word. And when the word of God increases, the church increases. And notice what he said about Stephanus. He said, I want you to submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us. Not the leaders, the people that help. If they're doing a job around the church, you say, I'll help with that. Submit yourselves to them. Help everybody. Submit yourselves to those that are helping with us and those that are doing the work. Get in there and push. There is no greater thing that you can do for your Christian experience than find some little place. Remember, Jesus said, do it in secret. Do it without notice. There's nothing better you can do than show up when nobody else is showing up. Show up when only a few are showing up. Show up outside of service time and just say, what can I do to help? It's amazing. It makes great saints and it builds great churches. This is the ministry of the saints. It is the mark of every growing revival apostolic church. Not only have the saints stepped up to take ownership of ministry, but Paul says to the church in Corinth, I want you to submit to the leadership of anyone who's helping the pastors. You don't have to have the pastor ask you directly. If anybody else asks you to do something that would help around the church, you just submit to that and you help them because that's how we build great churches. Because, brothers and sisters, when no one cares who gets the credit and when everyone is willing to shoulder some of the work, then our God can receive all of the glory, the ministry of the saints. Turn to your neighbor and say, strong meat. If you're offended, it's just you. It's not me, it's you. If you're offended, it's not us, it's just you. Because there's this consumer spirit today that says, I'll show up. If I show up, that's all you should expect. I defy that spirit because you cannot build an apostolic church built on that spirit. If I show up, you should be happy I showed up. You cannot build it. You can build a church, but churches are a dime a dozen. You can't build a biblical apostolic church on that kind of spirit. 
But could I stand here tonight and say, I don't believe that the people in this church for the vast majority, I don't believe they have that spirit. But here's what I do believe. We get distracted with all the busyness of our own lives and we forget. And when we forget. Now, today it's a snow day out there. The, the weathertainment has been intense all day long. They have kept us just teetering from one moment to the other whether we're going to actually survive tonight. But we will. They've been wrong before. 60 inches has turned into 6 centimeters many times before. So I know that because of the bad weather, I'm preaching to people from many churches tonight that are online with us. And this isn't just about CCC. If there's anything you can do in your local church to help your pastor push that church forward, you need to not wait for your pastor to come to you. You need to grab that and go for it and do it and bless that church and grow that church. This isn't just CCC. This is everybody, everywhere. Jesus expected you to serve. He expected it. Jesus did so the last question is simply this. What are you going to do about that? Um, showing up, that's not serving. That's not serving. Serving is when you find something. You say, well, I'm not called to do that. Hmm. Most of the stuff I do in the run of a week, I'm not called to do either. And that's true for every pastor on this team. We're called to do one thing above all. We are called to be servants. We are all able ministers, servants of the New Testament. That's what we are. There is a call to serve in this room tonight. I knew it would be here. I knew it would be tense and awkward because we're ready. We're already used to our routine. And our routine, for many people, doesn't involve serving. Anybody of any age can serve in some way. Now, I understand there are people that have temporary physical challenges, and I, I got that. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the vast majority of us that we can do whatever we need to do and whatever we want to do. And if I could give you a key that would bless your spiritual life, we've already talked in this series about fasting. We're doing that together right now. We've talked in this series about praying. If, only, if the only time you pray is here in the building, you're not doing this right. And no wonder you're struggling because prayer is only something you do in a building a few hours a week at best. You know, we're a church that prays often in our services. And I know people sometimes roll their eyes. It's like they prayed like seven times in that service. Do you understand how little that is in the run of your week that we would pray seven times in a service? That's minor compared to the rest of your week. And for some people, that's about all the praying they get. So no wonder they're struggling. But could I say equally, it's easy to talk about prayer and fasting because those we perceive as spiritual this one we don't perceive so much as spiritual. But Jesus expected his disciples to do good deeds that would bless other people. And Paul added to it and said, especially those that are of the household 
of faith. If there's anything that you're thinking about right now, that is probably the Holy Ghost saying, you could help with that. If there's anything that's come across your mind in the last few moments and you've tried to shrug it off, that is probably Jesus tapping you on the shoulder and saying, that's an area where you could be a blessing to the church. God forbid that I would have, and I'm talking about me right now, God forbid that I would have talents or skills or possessions or resources or know-how that I use for myself to bless my little kingdom and I would not use those freely for the kingdom of God. That is such a minor way that I can serve. If I can do it, if I can figure it out, if I can tackle it and I do that for me and I make money for me and I bless my little kingdom, then surely I could take that and freely give it to the kingdom of God. That is what servants do. Pastor Jack will be preaching next when? Next Sunday morning. You might want to pass on Wednesday night if you're offended tonight. I'm trying to ease this in because it's hard to interrupt if somebody's so fascinated with their milk bottle, it's hard to give them a piece of steak. But if you ever learn this principle, it will bless your life. It will bless your life family and your kids. Kids that grow up watching their parents serve in a local church, it does something and locks them in. It's amazing. You need to be part of this. Would you lift up your hands right now? And I know you might not even feel this right now. There's no big rush of anything except conviction. But conviction is powerful in and of itself. Conviction doesn't make us excited. Conviction makes us change. Conviction doesn't make us run around the church. Conviction makes us think about what we're going to do better this week. That's conviction. And so conviction is here. I'm not the least bit nervous that that you're not responding like a, a big crew or a big rally, I've delivered to you the word of God tonight. If you'd lift up your voice now with your hands and if you'd begin to pray, the Holy Ghost would like to do something unique. Not just bless you one more time, but commission you. Not, Not just kind of inspire you for a moment at the end of a service, but the Holy Ghost would actually like to direct your steps to bless your church and thereby bless your community. If you would just listen right now, while you're praying, he's going to put something in your heart. Somebody pray in the spirit right now. Just lift up your voice. Oh, this frees you. This blesses you. This blesses your family. This is the most exciting thing to get involved in the greatest thing God ever did. The thing he purchased with his own blood. That's the church. It's your local church.
Kathy, if you'd just come on back and play something. Would you stand with me in the house of the Lord? Thank you so much for your uh, kind attentiveness tonight. I appreciate it so much. Now, would you reach over and get a hold of somebody? Lift that hand with your hand. Let's pray together right now. Let's pray together right now. Everybody, every age, would you pray together right now? Sutere de la bocurra papatia casias. Sundere de shusaba correta. Sutere de la dara busia sabaha. Tutu repatia shesaba. Tu repa baleto kushesaba. Shushte saba bakuria bahasisa. Sustasia baba kushesa. Sute la baba bakushesaba. Sundere Bababa Yukote Ashabaha. Rebaha. Sureta Labarabakaya Terehishesa. Oh, it's there. You can feel it. It's the, the call of God to serve. It's the call of God to serve. Every disciple has a place of service. It's more than just attending. It's a place of service. It's more than just during service hours that we have here, our meetings. It's a place to serve. It's a place to serve. I worship you, God. Huh. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you'd sing with me, and let's come to the altar, if you would. I give all my service.